0: And if technology helped the sharing of resources to get a lot of church planting momentum going quickly, that same technology is disembodying community and driving people online. So I I think there's some hope that I feel on that front with a
1: real longing that have been put in human beings as image bearers of God. There's a longing and hunger for people to gather physically with other people. And I think church planting could step in 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 a pretty powerful way.
2: The Liberty Communion is a family of churches that seek to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus Christ in our neighborhoods. On this podcast, through stories and conversations, we elaborate on what that looks like in real life. Welcome to Live, Speak, Serve, a podcast by the Liberty Communion, hosted by Michael Black. Hello, and welcome to Live, Speak, Serve, a podcast by the Liberty Communion of Churches. I'm your host, Michael Black, and today we're going to talk about church planting and strengthening, specifically church planting. It's one of the three major ways that our churches partner together. With me today uh, to discuss this topic is Jim Anger and Matt Luloyan. Uh, Guys, let's uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves.
0: I am Jim Anger, the lead pastor at Liberty Church Collingswood in South New Jersey, also the Associate Director for our Liberty Communion of Church Planting and Strengthening. I will be taking the pro position on why we should plant churches. <laughs> Matt will be taking the <laughs> anti. Go ahead, Matt.
1: That's right, Jim, because <laughs> I don't know where to go with that one, but <clears throat> yes, great to be with you guys. My name is Matt Luloyan. I serve as the lead pastor of Liberty Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, just outside Harrisburg. For those of you who actually live in central Pennsylvania, Camp Hill is where our actual building is, so not officially Harrisburg proper. Uh, and then, along with that's right, that's right. And then, along with Jim uh, and a few others, get to serve as part of the the leadership team for the Liberty Communion uh, of churches. I get to do some stuff with strategic leadership, um, kind of pulling our different teams and leaders together on that front.
2: Yeah, excellent, excellent. Thanks, you guys. So uh, we've talked about why we wanted to do this podcast. There are three major ways that our churches partner together: church planning and strengthening is one. Then local mercy initiatives and global partnerships. Um, so today we're just gonna focus on that first one. And church planting and strengthening, we think they're really important. They kind of go hand in hand, but because it's also a little bit of a dense topic, we decided to split it up into two episodes. So this one we're just gonna focus on church planning. And there are a lot of questions that come with church planning. Hmm. So I got some notes and I'm gonna fire some at you. You guys let me know uh whoever wants to take it first. But uh the first one, and it gets brought up occasionally, um looking at statistics for America, roughly depending on who you talk to. There are around 300,000 to 380,000 churches in America. That's a lot. Right. Why are we still church planting? Why is church planting still something that's important to the communion? I mean, how many churches is enough churches anyway?
0: Do we have a goal we're looking at here? Matt, take it away. I want an answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Let's, well, we should probably, probably preface this by saying, as much as we are practitioners and love church planting and have been part of church plants and led church plants ourselves— um, we do not consider ourselves to be, you know, global subject matter experts on the topic. So we're going to come at this from the standpoint of um, of being people who love Jesus' church and love church plants and want to see more of them happen. Um, that is a lot of churches, no doubt. There's also statistics about this that I wish I had in front of me, but... I think the average church size of a church in North America is also around 75 people. And so if you actually do the math of even if it's 380,000, like the higher number of churches and multiply that by 75 people per congregation on average, that still leaves tens of millions of people that are not part of a church family. And we've read a lot in the last decade, couple decades about the rise of the quote unquote nuns. Um, not in the, the Catholic order sense, but in the um, people that do not claim any particular uh, religious affiliation in, in, uh, in, in demographic research. So there are a lot of people that, um, that don't claim any religious affiliation. Most importantly, there are a lot of people that don't have any knowledge or desire to follow after Jesus. And we, we want to see through a variety of approaches and strategies, but church planting being one particularly good one, an effective one. Uh, we want to see people who don't know Jesus meet Jesus and make decisions to to follow Him with their lives.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I imagine, I haven't seen any new study uh, on this statistic. Um, Keller wrote it back in, geez, 2009, Acts 29 uses it a lot. And it's that, um, you know, one of the surefire ways to see a community thrive, strikingly enough, is how many churches are in its area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's that's fascinating when you think about that, like whether the area is necessarily very religious or not, having a church there actually benefits that that region. Mm-hmm. That would be the goal, certainly.
1: Even the idea of being the people of God and seeking the the shalom, seeking the peace and prosperity of the place that God has has sent us, uh, the way the prophet Jeremiah wrote in the letter to the exiles in Jeremiah twenty nine. That's what we hope happens through local expressions of Jesus's church, and new new expressions of it tend to pull people into it much faster that are not connecting at another church, either because they're not Christians or um, they've experienced a lot of, uh, of baggage and hurt from, from churches they've been part of. And so church planting, being, being new and pulling people together and catalyzing a, a group toward this common shared goal and purpose tends to reach people that are not otherwise being reached by existing churches. So that's maybe some of the way that, you know, on the one hand, it can feel kind of counterintuitive. Hey, there's, there's so many congregations out there, can't, can't people who want to go to church um, find one that's there. And if all we're, if all we're aiming for are people that already do consider themselves to be Christians, have a mature relationship with Jesus and are following him, then then maybe the answer is yes to that. Um, church planters, like those of us in the Liberty Communion of churches are really always thinking about the person who's not here yet, but who we, we want to be here someday. And that's what really drives and compels our desire to plant, plant new churches. Jim, what would I, what would I, what am I missing there, Jim? You, uh, Fill in fill in the gaps that I'm missing there.
0: Well, Michael, luckily this is one of the ways that Matt and I balance each other really well because I am a glo- global expert on, <laughs> on, on church planning <laughs> and, and demographics. So thanks th- thanks for that handoff off there, Matt. The the no I I agree and the and by way of disclaimer, church plants and Michael and Matt, I know that you both would agree with this. Church plants are not better than existing churches, and every area is best served by the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ when you have a balance of church plants and new works and some long-established anchor churches in an area, the reality being that no one church reaches everybody in an area. And even here in Collingswood, across denominations even, I celebrate the fact that there are some churches here in town that are really good at reaching people that I, that I just don't really reach well with Liberty Collingswood, because as Paul says, he Jew to Jew, Greek to Greek, that sort of thing. And also to piggyback, Matt, on on what you said, there are good qualitative reasons as to why church plants, statistically speaking, do a better job of reaching people that are new to an area plus unchurched people. So if a church has been long and established in an area for a while, way back in the day, they did what church plants are doing in the present, where church new to an area trying to figure out who lives there, what are their needs, what are their desires, what are their dreams, how do we both pitch and program what our church is doing to reach these folks. And for these established churches, they did that, in some cases, generations ago, and those churches are less agile and able to pivot for any newcomers that are coming into an area, while flip side, a church plant is crunching numbers, listening to people praying exactly along those lines to say, hey, who is new to the area? And people that are new to an area are far more likely statistically to jump into new things. We noticed this at Liberty Collingswood from a negative example. Michael, this is before you came into the communion. Matt, do you remember when Liberty Moorstown was a thing? Man, that's, uh, well, at least, the, at least the, uh, the seeds of the idea. Yeah. Right. So and and that's about how how far it got. So in the mid 2010s, we we really pushed at Collingswood to plant in another community called Morristown, and we had prudential reasons for it. But one of the main reasons, in my opinion, that that church plant didn't ultimately take, is that Morristown is one of the most long-established communities and townships in South Jersey, where people that have been in Morristown have been in Morristown for generations, and we saw the negative context in real time, and not negative saying it's a worse place to live, but people have lived there forever. And if you've lived in a context for a long time, you already know the friends that you have. You know your Rotary Club. You know all of these different things and places that that you do. You're not looking to add to your bingo card at at that point. But new churches are trying to. And when a church plant is just getting started, and the, the cliche or the joke is, you know, this church used to be five people in my living room, it's also true, and when there's nobody at church and you gotta get people, you are expressly and explicitly trying to reach unchurched people because there is nobody in the church. There's no in-churched, so you need the unchurched, right? And at least as far as Liberty Collings would, by God's grace, and one of the informal metrics that I don't think is a lifeway research category, but how many people at a given church are able to say, this is the first church that I've been a part of and a member of as an adult. In the history of Liberty Collingswood, we've sort of lived, depending on the season of our life, between a third to a half of all of the people at our church would say, I've never been as an adult part of a church before until now, which makes for plenty of Wild West moments, but at least for me as a church planner, I'm a cowboy and on a steel horse I ride. (laughs) (laughs) We bet Jim like fifty dollars
1: that
2: he couldn't get a Bon Jovi reference in today's <laughs> podcast. I'm still waiting for the Bruce Springsteen one. You know it's coming, and it's just gonna smack us like a like a like a brick in the face. Um, you'll do, you'll know <laughs> when it happens. Y- yeah, Jim might actually be a subject matter expert on that. That might be <laughs> that might be the area that he really is a subject matter expert. <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, let's go on. Another uh, here's a question that we get from sometimes from uh, people that are Christians actually, uh, and it, it kind of gets framed. I'll frame it like this, just because uh, for having some, some foundation, but to bring up LifeWay research, uh, in, in 2021, they found that uh, 4,500 Protestant churches closed, and only 3,000 were started in the United States. Now, this is interesting, um, specifically for, for us, because we, we know church planting can be incredibly difficult from firsthand experience, but also the stats support that experience. And furthermore, that the average church plant doesn't last longer than five years. So even that 3,000 of churches that are started feels a a little shaky when you you really, you know, open up the hood. And so it kind of all kind of comes into the question, and that is like, shouldn't we be more focused on revitalizing the churches that are struggling or about to close their doors and on the brink of closing than opening up new churches when the odds are so daunting and against us? I really think that this is a both-and
1: type of approach. You know, we we trust from Jesus's words that the fields are always ripe for harvest. The scarcity is in the workers, and we need to pray for more workers, because there's not actually a scarcity in people that need to be served and blessed with the good news of Jesus. But I do think over the last 20 years, a lot of churches have discovered the strategic value of church planting and have moved in pretty substantial directions toward church planting, and there's all kinds of movements within denominations and outside of denominations that have that have pushed really, really well in, in incredible, beautiful ways toward that. I think that needs to continue. Um, I do also think that there will increasingly be a need for revitalization efforts to happen, uh, even applying some of these same strategies that that have been effective. They're, they're not exactly the same thing by any means, but I do think revitalization is another important approach. And and I think maybe this is just a personal opinion too, and Jim can correct me in his, in his expertise uh, in just a moment, but the... Uh, um, that probably for the next couple of decades, planting a church, will, will we will find it to be even more difficult in decades to come, even out of some of the, the things we've, we've discovered and things that have been accelerated through the, the pandemic, through COVID-19 that we've just come out of. Um, some, some just cultural shifts have been accelerated faster. Planting, I think, is getting harder and has gotten harder. Um, and I think there's opportunity to be found in revitalization
0: that maybe wasn't there before, that, that maybe is there now. Yeah, and that's worth talking about how church planning is becoming more difficult. As far as the revitalization question, I'll take a slightly more negative perspective in specifically this way. I went to seminary with a friend who went on to do a church revitalization project in Washington, D.C., and ended up writing a book about it through the Nine Marks publishing world, Mark Dever et al., Church planting is for wimps was, was the name of the, of the title. And he's saying that church revitalization is the really, really hard stuff, but it's more rewarding in the end. My take on that is he's more right than he realizes, and that church revitalization is statistically incredibly unsuccessful, so much more so than—so so the stats on church plants are not great my understanding of the church revitalization world, it's a little bit like companies that do a lot of marketing across platforms have wondered how valuable is traditional TV advertising right now? Do you actually attract consumers that way? The challenge is that most of the statistics about the effectiveness on TV advertising are researched and put out by TV advertising <laughs> firms themselves. <laughs> so if, if you go to a church revitalization website you're gonna see a lot of shiny statistics about how successful they are. There's a whole nother set of statistics that say, when you measure out church revitalization in longer term, you might get a little bit of bump of energy, but in the long term, it doesn't do a whole lot at all. So you'll spend tens of thousands of dollars sometimes on consulting groups that'll come in, you'll have some great focus groups, you'll have these great ideas, but then it just doesn't take. And I think anecdotally, between the three of us, we'll have plenty of specific examples of church revitalizations that were attempted but 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 just didn't work. It's really hard to ride a ship. And there's plenty of research from the business world where once a company reaches a point of death spiral, that that, that that's when the venture capital dogs come out because there's there there's no other way except to Hail Mary. To me, the silver lining there, and this is why I love church planning again, is if I really don't think revitalizations work. Although if God's calling you to it and you and you feel like, hey, there's a specific set of factors in this specific church, go for it. And Liberty Communion is not against church revitalization. But what we're more excited about is not a revitalization, but a replant. Replants are more successful. You're going to ask me what the difference I is? I am. You so, know where I was going. <laughs> so, so a revitalization model is, okay, there is this church that's been on the decline for a long time. You have... 22 primarily elder pe- elderly people at the church, they think all we need to do is call a young pastor and that young pastor is going to attract young families. We really don't have to change that much because we don't really want to. But by youthful osmosis, this church will, will grow again. That, that, that model tends not to work. But on the other hand, if that group of old people say, hey, the proof is in the pudding, we have not been effective at reaching our community— but we have this young planter coming in, and we're going to give the keys to this planter and do a clean sheet refresh, but with this building, with, with an appreciation of this history and an open invitation for the people that have already been here to stay with the understanding that they, they're stepping away from leadership to give more reign to the, to the planter. And maybe you rename, you rebrand. That's a more successful kind of revitalization, but it also looks more like a plant than a revitalization project.
2: Mm. Yeah. yeah. So those statistics can be uh, toted as a benefit to both the planting and the revitalizer. Yeah. Rising tide raises
0: all ships. That's (laughs) nervous laughter from from Michael right there, which is, which n- nervous laughter from you, Michael, makes me very comfortable. So yeah. we're in a good spot right now. <laughs> I'm just a nervous
2: person. So I laugh often. Yeah, I don't know what else to do. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's, uh, that kind of stems into the, the next question. Um, Matt, you touched on it as well. Like we were looking kind of, you know, projecting into the future that church planning does appear that it's going to be more difficult in a lot of ways. And, uh, that's supported by uh, the Barna Foundation in November of 2021, they found that 38% of pastors are considering leaving ministry completely. And that was up from that same year in January of 29%. So some stats show a growing shortage of pastors currently and potentially moving forward. As we've already said, church planting is hard when pastors are abundant. So how do you guys feel about planting in the current landscape? I mean, that <laughs> yeah, what uh, what makes you want to go, no, 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 no. no
0: we're still going to do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is why I'm more of a qualitative person than quantitative, because Barna just bums me out all the time. <laughs> give, give me some good news, Barna.
1: I guess maybe I, I would take a lot of different thoughts running through my head at the moment and summarize them by saying, um, I think to be a church planter requires, in this, in this, as it's getting more difficult to do that, requires a real gifting in uh, evangelism and and apostolic, you know, maybe with a lowercase a, apostolic gifting, um, more and more in the days to come than it has in the last couple of decades. There's been a lot of people that are just good leaders and entrepreneurial and come up with really good ideas for how to gather people, um, how to to be attractive to to different segments of the population, how to market well and use social media and communication platforms well. And if they're a good upfront communicator, and if they get a good musician or two around them, it's been possible to plant a church with some of those kinds of systems and leadership gifting uh, around you. I think in the, in the current landscape and moving forward, and this is more a, a, a byproduct of just kind of culturally, societally, where are we at in North America or in the West right now? Um, it's just, there's just less and less people that, that feel any pressure at all to be part of a religious institution. And the church in many circles is just viewed as a, as a net negative on society. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. viewed as like a liability and it's so backward compared to the, the, the values of our, of our progressing culture that we, we don't want to be associated with it. And so you really have to be an evangelist and an apostolic leader uh, on the ground in a community with people. To be a church planter in a way that you, you you might have had a little bit of gifting in that area before, but the lack of gifting in that area could have been compensated for by by other gifting in 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 leadership, um, and gathering type things. Uh, I just don't think that's going to be the case anymore for for church planting in in days ahead.
0: Yeah, the church planting movement from the '90s into the 2000s happened to catch some headwinds, providentially so in God's timing that we simply don't have anymore. So from a cultural perspective, for example, there was enough of a Christendom worldview in our country in the late 20th century that one of the ways in which church plants succeeded is you're just able to emphasize grace, sort of like, and this was Tim Keller again, but I think it's a good example, the old evangelism explosion gospel presentation, if you died today and God said, why should I let Mm -hmm. you into my heaven, what would you say? Uh, People don't know what they'd say. You talk about the bad news of sin. You talk about the good news of God's free gift in Jesus so that you get to go to heaven. And these are some Bible verses about it. Even if somebody was not in church, there would have been enough shared knowledge capital about a worldview where there's a heaven above, hell below, God over all things. Like that person would have said, hey, wait a second. I really should get back in church. And if the Bible says that, I need to take that seriously seriously. And I just thought I had to be a good person and God would love me. But this is even better news. Hmm. That Christian furniture has been liquidated at, at, at this point. <laughs> it, it, it is maybe burned outside in a burn pile. It might That might just not be liquidated. Yeah. It was taken to Burning Man and, and did not survive. But, but, but then also, so technology really helped church planting movement in an earlier generation where it was far easier to share resources. And so you had conferences and books and prominent speakers and you'd share cassette tapes and MP3s about all of this great church planting knowledge that was not accessible before that point. So much less were denominations equipped in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s to have any guidance for how to actually do that. But then you had all of these shared resources also playing on the fact that there is... You hear all this talk over the past 10 years about the death of monoculture. With shared resources plus more of a monoculture, you could pop the church planning toolbox and it would probably work in your area. But right now, we have a fragmentation of cultures. So, the one size fits all church planting toolboxes that did have some effectiveness 10, 20 years ago just don't anymore. And if technology helped the sharing of resources to get a lot of church planting momentum going quickly, that same technology is disembodying community and driving people online. And we have, I don't have a good answer, and I'll turn it back over, Matt, to you or Michael for this. How do you plant churches in physical locations when people live most of their time online? That's a challenge for church planting. That, yeah, gosh, that's a great... That's... Um, tune in next week for... <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it's a, um, that's a great question. It's, I'm, I have hope in the in, in same ways that there were headwinds that led into the, the thriving of church planting movements over the last 30 years. And providentially, when you look at the history of the church and the history of the people of God over thousands of years, um, you, see, you see providential things where really bleak looking times become incredible opportunities for the, the, the spirit of God and the work of God to, to surprise us. Hmm. And I, I, I could envision even in our lifetime and in the next couple of decades of being the Liberty communion and planting churches, a broader cultural reaction against the, like, not, not that we would do away with technology in the digital world. I think we're, I think that's, we're going to live there in various ways for, for the foreseeable forever. Um, but that there, because that's also coupled with epidemics of loneliness and anxiety and depression that there might be a corrective coming in the common grace of God that really creates a deep hunger for people to connect physically and presently. Gone might be the day that we can build massive churches that draw thousands of people to one location on a single day because there's gonna be virtual options where people can get incredible speakers, incredible music, the way that those churches tend to, you know, were able to do for years. Um, what they can't get from, from that online venue, um, is what you can get in, in smaller communities that tend to, to lend themselves really well to the kind of community that's built in a church plant where people are pulling together for a shared mission in a way they have to for something to get off the ground. So I, th- I think there's some hope that I feel on that front with a real longing that have been, have been put in human beings as image bearers of God. Like the body matters, the physical matters. Um, there's a longing and hunger for people to gather physically with other people. And I think church planting could step in in a, in a pretty powerful way.
0: I think that's absolutely true, and Michael, you said that I was grumpy earlier, so I'll, I'll, I'll double down there. What chastens my hope a little bit, and Matt, this isn't anything that, that you would disagree with, but we both listen and read Mark Sayers, who's a podcaster, author mm-hmm. in Australia, and he accesses some of the work of the sociologist Philip Reif or Reif from mm-hmm. the 20th century, who talks about different phases of culture and... It's been remarked sometimes that if you look at Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the first one, that that's just wild west of paganism and all these different competing worldviews all on top of each other at once. We're actually back into a more New Testament church context. That's only halfway true, because the difference is Christianity hadn't yet been to Corinth. And so even if levels of secularity have some similarities with earlier stages of life, the universe, and everything here in the West, the difference is that at this point, Christianity has already been through. And so there's a higher degree of anti-Christian antibodies in a culture or set of cultures where the gospel's already blown through once. And I do think the pendulum is going to swing back against some of the anti-embodiment, toxic fragmented culture than where we are now, and that gives a lot of hope, but it's still going to be a different animal than at least the types of fertile soil that we've encountered in previous generations, which I think is a call in two directions, one for a deep posture of dependence, and then also sharper strategies where, where we need to be constantly adaptive. Because Matt, you're absolutely right that at the end of the day, there is no... Global or local situation that's able to rebuff the work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus in planting churches. So, what we truly need has not left, but we also need to double down.
2: Yeah, I uh, I'm actually really glad that you brought it up, Matt, because I wanted to kind of talk about it. Um, and that being that, you know, even though we're moving into a more an increasingly more post Christian. You know, world, uh, especially in the West and in America, um, we're also seeing spikes in um, isolation, loneliness, depression, mental health crises. And simultaneously, people are starting to also realize that uh, medications can do a lot, but there is a significant drop off on medications being able to solve everything. And like, uh, and you can read more about this, like Johan Hari wrote a book uh, called Lost Connections, uh, where like the the detriments like of relying too heavily on medications to solve all of our woes, whether they're physical ailments or or mental in nature. And you you take that and you take it with the, the growing issue of isolation. And then you start kind of going like, hey, well, what's the answer to this? We're like, well, well, honestly, what did our, what did the people go before us do? Like they... They had those clubs, you know, they had those those areas where they could go to church and they would be connected and they built communities. And so, Matt, part of me is like really hopeful in the same way you are like, oh man, like if the world's craving for this, then then it makes sense and, in my mind, and and I've never planted a church, so I just want to go ahead and drop that in there. Like, but part of my naivety is like, oh, do it no, this Michael. is the perfect time to but do it. But you did stay at a Holiday
1: Inn Express last I night. Did. <laughs> so,
2: the- yeah. So like people are saying... They don't want to be a part of an institution. And I think some of that is also just from the cultural aspect of recognizing the corruption in, in every human institution that exists. We're so disillusioned with that. But Christianity, why, why did I come to church? It wasn't because a priest said, hey, know you're sinful and know that God still loves you. It, it was actually like a, a person stepping to me that I knew and that I cared about and that took a lot of time. And that investment was being intentional. And that, I think, crosses the intellectual and, and touch deeper to the emotional state of like, man, I just want to be known and loved. Mm-hmm. And when Christians do that, I don't think hell or sin can, can withstand any of that. I mm-hmm. think it just, just trumps it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think where my mind goes as you're sharing that too, Michael, is, I, you know, and, and to, to bring in some of Jim's, Jim's perspective on that too, which I think is really right on is I, th- I think the strategies for how to plant churches is going to continue to need to evolve to meet people in this cultural moment where they are. We don't claim to have the new formula and the way we're going to plant churches for the next decade, and so join us, because we've got it. Much more of, of a desire to follow the leading of the Spirit in that. I, I think maybe there's, there's some principles that we're, that we're kind of honing in on of saying the, the work of evangelism and the apostolic work of starting something new in a, in a difficult place uh, even a, like a post-Christian place. That skill set is, is is not everybody. And so there there are other really good ministry opportunities for pastors and leaders that isn't planting in this moment that we would say, praise God that he's raising up men and women to serve and lead in his church. Um, and we want to be a community of churches that strengthens churches too, which is our episode next time. It's a little teaser for that. But there could definitely be um, things like, for example, really gifted people that that are starters, that are evangelists, and that do more of that work and raise up leaders to hand that work off to and then continue that work on. So I think we're as curious as anyone to try to follow the leading of the Spirit into what the effective approaches and modes are to planting, still believing that there is important planting work to be done uh, in the days ahead.
0: I think that in these next seasons, we will be doubly surprised by Jesus, where there will be some unfortunate surprise, where we'll be frustrated, angsty, and disappointed that things that used to work in church planning just are not anymore, plus new openings and opportunities that we anticipated will not turn out to be that fruitful, and so we'll have to continually adapt. I was reading an article the other day on on The Athletic about the Phillies, uh, Philadelphia baseball team, Michael, and what the... Phillies pitching staff philosophy is they sense that major league batters are starting to get more and more of a hang of sliders with with the diagonal movement of the slider. So, so they're encouraging their, their pitchers to lean into cutters, which has a more east, west, west, east movement as opposed to that, you know, northwest, southeast sort sort of thing. Just to try to find a new opening. Or 10 years ago, people would have said that like college offenses will not thrive in in the NFL. And if you have a quarterback, a running quarterback in college that that had some success there will not thrive in the NFL. Well, have you met Mr. Jalen Hurts? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. So so we'll we'll need to continue to press ahead and we hope spirit bred innovation. But the flip side is that I hope and pray that Jesus will surprise us positively, where there will be this whole other horizon of gospel opportunities that we didn't plan for, we didn't work for, we didn't foresee in any way at all. But in the kind providence of God, Jesus will show us, here it is. Here, here, here are some people that really, really need Jesus in a deep way right now. And here are some strategies that you can happen upon to very easily to mobilize in these directions. Yeah.
2: I really love what you just said, because it it reminds me of like the metaphor of the trellis and the vine,
0: right? Mm -hmm. Like we can build out these
2: structures to support the life and the growth of the church or hopefully a church to come. But you got to do it with a flexibility, knowing that what you're building, the life doesn't come from us. Life comes from the spirit and the spirit alone. And so do what you can be faithful pray diligently and and work hard but in the same sense be willing to um, dip duck dive and dodge uh mm-hmm. you know to to follow where the spirit leads and there is so much humility that's required with that perspective it's I don't even want to say it as if it's just oh yeah yeah just be flexible because it's it's exceedingly difficult when you make
0: plans and you have like well this is our 5 year goal where we want to be at and don't mess with it Jesus <laughs> yeah it, it it may seem like we're on the precipice for church planting, and the church more generally, where there's just an ever deepening darkness on the edge of town. But truly, in every age, including this one, the church is born to run.
1: What a there double! Was. What a double Springsteen reference was. in one. <laughs> heat. I mean, you just—you might as well just wrap it up, Michael, because that's that's. I, that's, I, I didn't gym, even know it's it was like non-grumpy Jim
0: and Springsteen Jim for, for a second. <laughs>
2: Okay, I'm back. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, I think that actually is a great place to wrap up. Um, yeah, we we do trust the spirit moves and the church will always be the vessel in which God uses to redeem the world. Um, and whether it looks gloomy or not. So, yeah, do you guys want to add anything else?
1: They can't bring death to our hometown. That's... I... <laughs> 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 what other what other good Springsteen reference we, can I get yeah, in there? You, you know, uh, I was gonna say, are we just gonna go through the album the discography? Yeah, we're just gonna go through it. <laughs> that's some church planning magic, if I've ever if I've ever heard it. I think that's a great uh, encouraging word from Jim, too, like to end. It's been said by all all the pastors in all of our churches that the church is a plan A. It's the plan A for, for Jesus. Hmm. And we've gotten to see that no matter what it happens in any in any culture in any place of the world. Uh, that the church stands because it stands on christ and stands on that solid rock that solid ground so um so we have we have hope and confidence in that even as we're as we're wrestling our way through how to do it
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. amen well i think that does it
2: guys thank you so much for lending your thoughts both for this episode on church planting and the next on church strengthening and for anyone listening if you're interested in hearing more from these guys or want to support the work of jim at liberty collingswood or matt at liberty harrisburg you can visit their websites at libertycollingswood.org or libertyharrisburg.org. Don't forget, that's Liberty with an I. Catch you later, everybody. Thank you for listening to Live, Speak, Serve, a podcast by the Liberty Communion of Churches. For more information or ways to support the work of the Liberty Communion, visit www.liberty.org. That's libertywithaneye.org.